Today's episode of the Watson Weekly Podcast is sponsored by Commerce Tools. The world of commerce is fast-paced and constantly changing. Commerce Tools, the global leader in commerce and creator of the powerfully composable mock architecture, enables commerce leaders to turn possibilities into reality. Commerce Tools helps businesses go from underperforming to overachieving, and from keeping up to setting the pace, all at a lower total cost. Go to commercetools.com to learn how to get started. It's June 26, 2023, and this is the Watson Weekly, your essential e-commerce digest. Today on our show, Shop Pay launches for enterprise retailers. FedEx reports its quarterly earnings. New retail sales data from the Commerce Department. Amazon seller fulfilled Prime coming back. And finally, the Investor Minute, which contains seven items this week from the world of venture capital, acquisitions, and IPOs. But first, in our shopping cart full of news, ShopPay launches for enterprise retailers. While you've been able to use different payment processes for Shopify for some time, Certain elements have been locked down, including their ShopPay accelerated checkout experience, long seen as one of the crown jewels of Shopify. In the U.S., to my knowledge, ShopPay was exclusively using Stripe for its credit card payment processor. As Shopify signaled its intention earlier this year to go up market with its commerce components, the worry was simple. How to penetrate it if you can't support the payment processors used in market? Today, Shopify has released a few new updates. One. Enterprises now can use its ShopPay accelerated checkout solution as a component, even if the rest of the business is not on Shopify. This is made possible by all the re-architecture and refactoring Shopify has done in the last couple of years. I guess I thought this was already common, but this makes it more official for me. Two, Adyen is partnering with Shopify to pursue more enterprise customers. In my opinion, you need payment processor flexibility in the mid-market and certainly in enterprise segments. Why? Rates are paramount. Enterprises have volume-based negotiated rates for payment processors and associated fraud services. Switching is a non-starter. Also, contracts prevent switching. Payment processors like to sign up long-term clients. Unless Shopify adds more flexibility to ShopPay, it would blunt its adoption. Finally, retail POS systems have been in place for years and most people are not going to switch their retail payment processor based on their e-commerce platform choice. It's an omni-channel world and Shopify needs to be more flexible here. There's still no word on how flexible Shopify will be with regards to ownership of the payment token vault and its use in omni-channel payment scenarios, particularly in situations where you're not using Shopify's POS solution, which, as you know, are all enterprise customers. What advantages will Shopify have in this space? ShopPay is seen by players not on Shopify as a big advantage for the company particularly when you consider the alternative of building your own checkout from the ground up in a headless fashion. Where will the market land? Well, custom checkout solutions will always be possible with raw payment gateway APIs combined with tax, fraud, address validation, identity, buy now, pay later, and other solutions. You get the idea how hard this is, and for most companies, this is probably the hardest thing a technology organization will ever do, not only initially, but also ongoing. Accelerated checkout solutions from platforms, of which ShopPay is one, will allow merchants to perform more of a configuration-like experience. Third-party checkout solutions and accelerators like Bolt, Bold, 
checkout.com and others will still exist, particularly in e-commerce solutions that don't lock down the checkout flow like Shopify has traditionally done. Here are my remaining questions about the program. First, how will ShopPay combine with the international merchant of record solutions? Is everything fair game now? The release says that Shopify is releasing its support for AdYen later this year. If you want others, can merchants configure ShopPay to add others' payment processors themselves? Will Shopify look to accelerate its payment processor integration by acquiring more talent in this area? Or will it leave this to consulting partners? What pace is it trying to hit here? There is somewhat of a broader question of what this means for Stripe as it heads toward its IPO. In the short term, probably doesn't mean much. The press release explains that this kind of shop pay payments flexibility is only allowed for enterprise merchants. This means Stripe's partnership in the lower tier of Shopify and Shopify Plus seem intact for the moment. Our second story. FedEx reports its quarterly earnings. Last week, FedEx released its quarterly earnings report, and while the company had a rough year by any account, the future is looking slightly better than before, especially on a relative basis. Here are a few of the highlights from the report. Compared to fiscal year 2022, all fiscal year 2023 FedEx metrics were down. Revenue, operating income, and operating margin all declined year over year. In particular, revenue was down 10% year over year to $90 billion. In the last quarter, FedEx continued to see demand weakness across the business, particularly in the express business. In the next 12 months, FedEx is forecasting a flat to low single-digit revenue growth, permanent cost reductions of almost $2 billion, and capital expenditures of $5.7 billion with a focus on modernization and automation. I find it very interesting that the company is forecasting revenue growth but is not providing any guidance on operating margin which is kind of the opposite of what Wall Street wants companies to do right now. Our third story, new retail sales data from the Commerce Department. The U.S. Department of Commerce and Census Bureau recently released its May data, and I thought it would cover a few of the interesting points here as covered by Daphne Howland at Retail Dive. First, retail sales data trended up by 4.2% year-over-year, and e-commerce rose 8.7%, according to the report. Of course, it's not lost on me that inflation is running at 4% across the economy, despite dampening in some categories. Second, while broadly there was expansion, not all categories participated. In particular, home goods and electronics fell approximately 4% year-over-year, and sporting goods sales rose only 2.5%. Third, clothing sales were flat year-over-year, dragged down by sluggish performance from department stores of 3%. It's pretty clear at this point the segment that is raising clothing sales is off-price, which is the format that many consumers are migrating to given inflationary pressures combined with a relatively cautious economic household outlook. The one sector which has not yet gotten the memo is Wall Street, which is like the Alfred E. Newman of the economy. What me worry? And our last story. Amazon's seller-fulfilled prime looks to make a comeback. In surprising news, Amazon has announced that it's reopening its Seller Fulfilled Prime program, or SFP. This program allowed sellers to use their own third-party facilities to keep their Prime badge while not using Amazon's fulfillment by Amazon warehouses. Many sellers were able to do this successfully and sometimes more affordably than Amazon itself, and perhaps because their warehouse and infrastructure is already a sunk cost to the brand. The central issue with SFP is compliance. And there have been previous reports that most sellers in the program were not compliant with Amazon standards. 
I suspect that if Amazon is considering reopening Seller Fulfilled Prime, it will need to ensure compliance is more strict than it was previously. The monitoring and enforcement infrastructure needs to be swift and robust if this will work. Communication and data reporting are essential parts of this. It takes work to act as a node on Amazon's fulfillment network. A few more thoughts. When Amazon stopped Seller Fulfilled Prime a few years back, they didn't turn it off entirely. They just stopped issuing new approvals. This made Seller Fulfilled Prime licenses somewhat of a commodity in the seller community, in the same way that Amazon Vendor Central accounts sometimes are. All of this reads like another way Amazon is creating relief valves in its fulfillment network so that Prime can keep expanding. Is it a coincidence that there's been significant Amazon leadership turnover and now Seller Fulfilled Prime is returning? That timing must be more than coincidental, right? While I understand why it's the seller that is certified for SFP if they ship independently, if they're using a third-party logistics provider, it makes less sense. I kind of always thought there would be 3PLs or third-party logistics solutions who would want to dropship on behalf of Amazon customers who should be able to use SFP-certified facilities. This would allow the certification to pass to the fulfillment provider itself, in other words, the ones that are doing the hard work, as compared to the brand, which is also the people who are just paying the bill. Think of it kind of like the delivery service partner or DSP program, but instead of the drivers, it's for independent fulfillment centers. Certifying the providers and ensuring their compliance would also be easier than certifying each seller and could create a larger cottage industry focused on prime standards. Hey, Watsonians, this is Rick. If you haven't joined our community, now's your chance. The RMW Commerce community contains members from all around the world who meet every day to discuss topics we cover on this podcast. Just last week, there was a discussion about generative AI and discovery and e-commerce. You can contribute to the conversation at community.rmwcommerce.com today. Now a word from our sponsor, Commerce Tools. When a multi-billion dollar beauty brand's e-commerce platform neared the end of its life, the entire business was at risk including the ability to serve customers. By switching to commerce tools and embracing a more flexible mock architecture, the retailer's vision for connecting in-store and personalized shopping experiences became a reality. The brand can now roll out features within days, securing its position as a modern brand that uses technology to its advantage. If you're being held hostage by your technology platform and your developers have thrown up their hands, tell them to start a free trial at commercetools.com today. It's that time, friends, for our Investor Minute. We have seven items on the menu today. First, AI-based inventory optimization provider OneBeat secures a $10 million Series B. The funding was led by Magenta Venture Partners, among others, and the company originated in Israel. The origin story of the company is interesting as the solution spun out of Goldrat Consulting. For those who haven't heard of Eli Goldrat, He's the author of management philosophy called The Theory of Constraints with aims to optimize a system by identifying its most important limiting factor. In this case, using AI to optimize inventory availability, assortment, and freshness across locations is a perfect use case for AI, given the cost and customer experience impact of having the wrong product in the wrong place at the wrong time based on demand patterns. All of Goldratt's books like The Goal and The Theory of Constraints are great if you haven't read them, by the way. Second, supply chain transparency solution SourceMap raises a $20 million Series B. SourceMap provides supply chain mapping, traceability, 
visualization, and monitoring solutions for brands like Mars, Hershey's, and Williams-Sonoma. With increasing regulatory concerns for things like conflict minerals, responsible sourcing, and other things, it's no surprise that large enterprises need help with this kind of supply chain certification. The funding was led by Energize Ventures. Third, eBay launches Techstars' Future of E-Commerce Accelerator Program. Techstars has been an accelerator program in the startup space for some time now, and it appears that eBay Techstars will focus on pre-seed companies. This is similar to startup accelerators that Amazon and Walmart have contributed to. Applications will be accepted through July 5th, 2023, but I'm sure there will be more cohorts if you miss this batch. Fourth, cross-border payments provider Kita raises $17 million from investors, including Eric Schmidt. Clearly, the connection to Silicon Valley executive and former Google CEO Eric Schmidt makes this interesting. Kita has aspirations to make cross-border payments as easy as Venmo, which can't make PayPal too happy to hear about. Kita explains that its solution is based on a proprietary payments ledger, which I took to mean not blockchain. My how far crypto has fallen when Silicon Valley is avoiding all terms related to it. Fifth, Singapore-based cross-border payments company Thune raises $60 million. Thune recently completed its Series C funding in order to scale its capabilities and launch new solutions. And the CEO noted that in the past few years, the company has expanded its mobile wallet network to 3 billion accounts. The funding was led by alternative investment solution provider Marshall Waste. Sixth, digital marketing agency AO2 Management acquires Amazon service provider Seller Labs. Service provider AO2 Management has traditionally been in the e-commerce digital marketing agency and branding space. The new acquisition of Seller Labs services aims to bridge the gap between digital marketing services for e-commerce merchants and those who are on online marketplaces. And finally, shipping provider Octane acquires Return Rabbit. The acquisition of Return Rabbit by Octane is definitely filling a hole in the Octane offering. If the name Octane is not familiar to you, it's the holding company for some of the most popular shipping solutions in the world like ShipStation, Shipworks, Stamp.com, and Shipping Easy. It will be interesting to see how Octane plans to integrate this solution. In the past, Octane has acquired shipping platforms that allowed it to generate more label volume. However, Return Rabbit is early in its development, so the solution choice is curious. It's likely the established returns players were more expensive or not available. That's all for this week. Till next time, Watsonians. Hi, I'm Rick Watson, CEO and founder of RMW Commerce Consulting and host of the Watson Weekly Podcast, your essential e-commerce digest. Our production partner for the series is Citizen Racecar. The show is produced by Jose Baez. Production manager, Gabriela Montequin. To hear new episodes of the show every Monday morning, subscribe now at rmwcommerce.com slash Watson Weekly and wherever you get your podcasts.